This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Jeff. Doctor, how are you this afternoon? Yeah, am I thinking of changing my title? I've been going as Dr. Ernest. Yeah, because I've been going as Dr. Ernest since I was uh, finishing my PhD at Caltech and okay. moving into the business world. And, and that was mostly because that was the shortest domain name I could buy in 1995. Because <laughs> uh, Brabacher.com was already taken, and plus it's really hard to spell. It was already so, taken. My goodness. Yeah, yeah. Huh. So that's I have .net, but not Pernambacher.com. Go figure. Anyway, and so I decided to go with Dr. Ernie, and I've been using that, I think, as my email alias and everything else since then, and been using it on broadcasting. But uh, just in the last few weeks, I've been thinking, there's another title I've been using on occasion, um, uh, funny story behind it, I may tell you sometime, uh, which is Ernest the Sinner. Ernest and I'm thinking, you know, sin. yeah, as opposed to, it was sort of a play on St. Benedict. Um, I see. And I've actually grown more fond of that title recently, so I'm thinking of starting to use that in my podcast. Because <laughs> uh, cause it's, one, not many people are going to claim it. <laughs> True. And you've heard the old joke, right? There's only two kinds of people in the world, uh, sinners who think they are saints and saints who know they are sinners. Mm, nice. Anyway. So, yeah. anyway, that was just, now you actually have a PhD, don't you? I do, yeah. The joke around our house is it comes actually from a friend of mine who uh, got a phone call at the house one day and his daughter answered it and uh, she she calls out to him, Dad, a phone call for Dr. Rivera and um, one of her friends was over and uh, so he, he comes to the phone but and then his daughter's friend goes, your dad is a doctor? She said, yeah, but not the kind that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the one that we always go with around our house. Like, I'm, I'm know, a doctor, funny, they, but not, not the kind that helps people. Yeah. They so. told that one at my graduation. Except the version <laughs> was, it was about Dr. Milliken, who was a, one of the main founders of Caltech. And he okay. gets a phone call, uh, and the maid picks it up. And someone says, excuse me, is Dr. Milliken there? He goes, well, yeah. He's not the kind of doctor that does anybody any good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> actually, that's a bad segue. I actually had a, um, unless there's anything, uh, first of all, how are you doing? Let's start there before I get into it. Oh, I'm, I know you were going we're through good. the ringer last month, post-Christmas, post-family medical emergencies. Right. Yeah. No, I think we've had about a couple of weeks now. Um, to, to recoup a bit, you know, Sam and Pansy are, are now at Vinit's. Right. So that's, that's given us a chance to kind of recalibrate and um, get a little bit uh, of time in, to rest, to pray, to just kind of process what we, what we all just went through. So. Yeah. That's good. It, it feels, it feels like we're in a much more, I don't know. Just it feels we feel. I just feel like we've been comforted by the Lord. And it's a good moment. Yeah, uh, that is you know, good. Yeah. I, I feel like yeah. we do not always give ourselves enough space to recover from traumatic ex, uh, experiences. True. I'm really proud of you for taking that. Yeah. No, it was definitely felt like the Lord's 
uh, embrace. Just kind of like, look, you know, we we just needed to be still. You know, I, Ovidia, you know, you need to go away for a couple of days. So I, I got her a nice hotel room outside the city and just said, look, you need to go rest, pray, cry, scream, you know, whatever you want to do. Like, <laughs> just, what, what's the, what, yeah. what was the song? Jump, shout, let it all out. Yeah, right. Exactly. Tears for fears. So I, I it was, um, that was great. She was able to do that. And we've been able to talk, um, talk with the kids a little bit too, as well, just to process what happened. Are we okay? You know, do you, are you guys, we, Oh, on the one hand, we were so proud of the kids. They they just did so well. I mean, they're so mm. gracious, kind. They they cared for Achi and Tata with such joy. It was awesome, actually. It was a real blessing mm. to see it. But I also know it. You know, it wasn't easy. So we've we've been able to talk about it, and I think we're in. I think we're in a good spot. So wow, yeah. that reminds, reminds me of the movie Inside Out. I don't know if you saw that. Man, I thought, we did see it. It's been years. Yeah, right? but you'll but like the, the character, right? And and, and yeah, the build inside her head, and like the, this girl, her character is her dominant characteristic is joy, which mm. is a wonderful thing, but she gets so stuck in that role of joy that she doesn't allow herself time to grieve. True. She's trying yeah. to be there for other people, and that the the, the story is all. And so, it's actually really beautiful that you're able to celebrate and honor how your kid. Uh, you handled the situation with joy, but you weren't. But but then you you took a step back and said, okay, but are you actually feeling okay, and, yeah. and not just giving us what we need? And that's actually really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. I mean, it just you know, it's like anything that you've never done before, whether you get getting married or having kids, or you know, these major milestones where. You definitely feel like there there's some things we just don't know how to deal with here. And Lord, we're gonna need you and to help us with the, the not only just the patience, but also the yeah, how do you handle the, the grieving and the, the the pain of it where it's oh, yeah. it's, it's difficult. What you're going through and also all the feelings it brings up of what could happen in the future about death and mortality. And... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've often wondered if the only thing that we need to get closer to God is learning how to grieve and what to grieve. Hmm. Because it's the things that we haven't grieved that tend to be the hot buttons that uh, Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway. <laughs> uh, did you have any questions? Uh, if not, I had a couple of questions for you out of our last conversation and some of the things that are going on. But I wanted to give you some space and just anything you wanted to reflect on or ask about. No, go ahead, man. I'm, I'm All right. So actually, it's funny to give our, our introduction. This is a, the first question is, so you got a PhD. And as I recall, you were pursuing some sort of maybe not academic per se, but sort of a teaching role, professor, running a seminary, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, was that a conscious desire? Did that just sort of happen or what? Because it seems like the path you're on is not that. I'm trying to figure out how, how you got here. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I, uh, yeah, the doctorate was always, I'll say it this way. I have never had an end goal in, in mind, um, with the PhD, which sounds odd because most people don't go into doctoral work unless they have some kind of objective, like a career goal or whatever. But I've, so that's funny. In my circle, uh, uh, the PhD is the snooze button on the alarm clock of life. I don't know what I'm <laughs> going to do, so I'm just going to. But I'm pretty good at the school things. So I'll do some more, and hopefully, I'll figure it out as I go along. So nice. that's actually what I'm used to. Interesting. Was that sort uh, of what you did, or was there a little bit not quite that? I, I I wouldn't. I don't think it was quite that. I think I I have been aware. Um, you know, I was aware for some time that I, I felt a, a definite call from the Lord to do two things. And one was to, to study the scriptures at the mm. highest level that I could. Mm. And the second was to teach um, the scriptures. Yeah. Now, with, with the studying part, um, I, w- I got the Ph.D., I, to me, solely out of obedience to what I felt God was calling me to do. I in order, in order to try to achieve those two things. Correct. I, a, I felt. Or is it a separate I, thing that you felt God called you to? No, I felt responsible to equip be to equip myself on the highest level I could mm. um, to read the scriptures intelligently and with the best possible arsenal of, of tools. So mm-hmm. that's why I did the PhD and not a, a D-min or, you know, some kind of ministry oriented degree. Cause my whole, yeah. my whole intention was I want to know the languages and I want to know the culture. I want to know the historical context because I want to mm. be responsible with what I'm, what I'm communicating. Um, mm. So I knew I, I would end up teaching. I, I had no idea the when or the where, I think I mm-hmm. I would have assumed it would have been in a Bible college or seminary, and it was for some time. Um, mm-hmm. and, but but I did not ever have a kind of it has to be like this or mm. like that. My objective was tenure, or that I was you know I I also never you really had a thing, you, had a, you, you you kind of loosely held the expectations yeah. of what would happen afterwards. That's right. And that's really the same today. I mean, right now, most of the instruction, the teaching, the equipping I'm doing is in the context of of our local church and, you know, maybe a few other communities that we're connected to. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, that could change tomorrow. I, I don't I don't have <laughs> a, a locked-in kind of this is how it's going to go. I've always just mm-hmm. tried to... I really have tried to listen to the Lord. I've tried to be as just hands off as I could with where he wanted us to be, where he wanted to to focus my energy and attention during these different phases of my life. And in, in some cases, they, they have been more academically oriented. I'm, I, I did teach at a, a seminary in the Chicagoland for about eight years, and I Taught at other Bible colleges, including the one that we started here in the city, which yeah. that's not entirely just academic, but it's still classroom based and more yeah. um, sequence oriented, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a little different now. Now a lot of yeah. the instruction I'm doing is in small groups of people or, you know, a house church setting where I'm, we're, we're training leaders both by the way we model our lives and through what we communicate, you know, from the text and everything else. And yeah. that's where we're at right now. But, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't, I don't have any, um, I'm not, I guess I'm not one of the people with the five year plan or the, yeah. you know, the 20, the 20 year plan. It's never really worked for me. So yeah, no, I think that's definitely, we are definitely in a generation where it's, uh, it's, it's like jazz or basketball rather than like, you know, football mm. right? it, or a, a symphony. It's like the, 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 those who are most successful are those who can adapt to the current reality versus yeah. those who have a profound grasp of present reality and can plan ahead just because there's even a word for that. It's called VUCA. I don't know if I told you this word before. No. Uh, the military planners in the 90s uh, coined it. It stands for something like volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that is the <laughs> wow. world we live in. As opposed to like the 1950s, where it's like, we know yeah. what the Soviet Union is, what their production capabilities are. There's only so many battlefields and, you know, slowly moving technological change. And like now you don't know who the bad guys are, if the bad guys are, where they are, how they will fight you. It's right. a whole different universe. And so I spent a lot of time talking with some friends around that. But anyway, hmm. but it's, your mindset is very well suited to a VUCA world. <laughs> now, I, I, I admire the fact that you don't have any expectations or concrete plans. Do you have any, like, aspirations or, like, things that God has put in your heart that you're sure you're going to do someday, you just don't know how or when? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, well, I do feel like I'm going to end up writing books that mm. are related to what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. uh, some of them are, some of them would be more typically like biblical studies type books, but also I think mm -hmm. practical, um, practical writing on discipleship. Um, church, um, community, some some of the things that we've, you know, even just leadership, some of the ways that we've, I think, sought to develop and cultivate people in leadership roles. Mm -hmm. as, as yeah. As, I, I would love for, I would love the opportunity to get interaction mm -hmm. with some of the things that we're doing and, and ways we're approaching things in an i mean a, in a largely urban context without yeah a building without um mm. having any property um and yet still i think pretty effectively mm -hmm. making disciples raising up leaders planting new house churches yeah. and people you know elsewhere to do the same whether it's other yeah. parts of the u.s or overseas yeah, and when you, say you know, I, I feel with, like that that will happen yeah. Uh, yeah. at some point. And mm -hmm. um, even I even have, I mean, I have outlines of book chapters. I, I am. Uh, yeah. I feel like that's probably something I'm in may. I may even be overdue on this and needing to kind of actually kick it in gear a little bit. So, yeah. 
But other than that, man, honestly, I it I feel um I feel like we're in such a sweet spot in terms of the work we're doing. Yeah. I I don't have I don't have any ambition to be doing anything else, honestly. So I I would if you were to tell me today, like, hey man, aside from the you know maybe adding some writing and teaching, you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. I'd be pretty happy about it. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, and I don't know if that makes me complacent really... or if that makes me wise. No, no. Like, tell you the for the record, <laughs> you've been giving exactly the right answers. Not necessarily the answers <laughs> I was expecting, but what else is good? That is exactly the answer I was hoping for. I just didn't know that. So we're right on track. So that's good. Oh wow. Okay. So this is exciting. So the third question, and I'm just making these up as I go along, uh, based on your previous answer. Nice. Was the word interact with? Like that's a fascinating term. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like you want to, to, to me that says the opposite of like, I just want to broadcast my ideas mm -hmm. out to a million, billions of people. So there's something yeah. more to it that you're trying to say. I think when you yeah. chose that word interact with. Could you elaborate? Right. Yeah, uh, you know, typically how scholarship works in my experience is, um, you know what you're doing when you're publishing something let's say is, mm -hmm. is you're making yourself vulnerable to both uh the critique and affirmation of others mm. um, i think it's a way of taking responsibility for your for your ideas and your thoughts i think uh -huh. part of the part of the publication Thing can be unhealthy because it's a kind of a drive to you know achievement or status or mm -hmm. yes you know I'm I have my, my I have these number of books and articles and everything else and my experience with scholarship has been <clears throat> kind of a plus and minus where sometimes it just seems like people are just trying to be different um, and, and so you just publish something that nobody else has said whether or not it's helpful it, it, if it's we call different it the least publishable we call that the least publishable unit at caltech what is the okay. smallest thing i can publish so i can get a paper on it so i can add it to my list of citations so i can make tenure right so the, on that side of you know the scholarship the, the value is on uniqueness the value is on saying something new and different whether or not it's true is is almost secondary um, and in some and whether it's relevant is and whether it's useful is tertiary. Correct. Yes, way down the line, useful. So I, well, I guess what I feel is like I don't, I don't want to publish a book, you know, write it just to to do that. I really do want it to be an exercise where, okay, if I didn't think I had anything valuable to say, I wouldn't say anything. But I do have. I feel I have something valuable to say, but I also want to be accountable for what I say. And one of the ways you can be accountable is to put it on paper and invite. And I would be very, you know, my my biggest uh, desire with it would be for people who have, you know, just a similar devotion to the Lord and and commitment to His people, to be able to interact with that and and to say, look. This wisdom here, or hey, you know, you this might be a blind spot, or you know, and I guess for me it's a way of saying I want to, 
I want to know, I want to know the truth. And if, if we've touched some elements of truth in what we do, then I want to help others touch it. But also if we aren't quite seeing things clearly that we need help with, I think it's also a good way to invite that um, where, where people could react and respond. I mean, what's challenging about the current environment is the, the, the kind of like acrid hostility of it all and, and realizing that um, you do open yourself up to all kinds of nonsense, you know, when, when you publish something and you, you go from, you go on people's lists, you know, people's heretical lists and things like that. I mean, I, that's, I guess, a part of it, but I don't know. For me, the interaction part comes in this desired, man, I want, I want that conversation to be opened up. All right. I had to mute you there so you wouldn't hear me falling over laughing. Oh. <laughs> this, wait till you hear the real reason I called you. Okay. Okay. So before I heard this story from you, let me just tell you my story. And you may okay. feel free to mute if you're going to fall over laughing. So okay. <laughs> I've been in a season, I've been in many seasons, but <laughs> really for the last, um, so I, uh, this is all public knowledge now, but I, I'm, I was on a podcast, uh, which will, which will, I think, drop on February 14th or so, uh, for the t-shirt I'm wearing, which is called Refuge Freedom Stories, mm. and it's rotated, and, uh, I share about my struggles with addiction, mm. and, uh, in more detail and more graphically than I have elsewhere. It's like the ministry to, like, recovered to, to ex-prisoners, so that's, like, hardcore audience. Okay. And so I felt it was good to be blunt. I won't necessarily be as blunt here. But uh, when I kind of had this encounter with God in the early 2000s, it really kind of reshaped my whole thinking. And I've just been on this quest. And I've been saying, like, I've done a lot of things. But the primary thing I've been doing is just like, what is God saying to me? And pretty much everything I publish is to help me figure out what it is that God is trying to do with me. Hmm. Because it's been, you know, because like, and I still want that to be the case. But I think this season, in fact, this year, it feels like God's saying, okay, but now it's worth taking some time to think about how do you put it in formats that other people can understand. Hmm. And so um, I sent you that article about what is and isn't discipleship mm -hmm. that I put on my blog. And we can talk about the content later at some point. But when I read this, I said, you know, okay, but the reason I wrote that is like, okay, um, have you heard the Have you heard the Dunning Kruger effect? I don't. Think uh, so. You may not remember the name, but the basic idea is that people are misled about how much expertise they have. I see. What you kind of find there's this sort of weird thing is that when people learn a little bit, they're often so excited by the one thing they know they think they're an expert. Okay. Right? So yeah. The you know the, the false positives that people think otherwise they're not. But the other effect right. is that when you actually become a scholar and you study something deeply. You become deeply aware of how little you know <laughs> and yeah. how much, you know, you don't know. And right. therefore, you tend to underrate your expertise. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking like, okay, so I feel like I've learned a lot in these like 20 years that I've been, or, you know, not quite 20 years, maybe 18 years that I've been sort of like digging myself out of this emotional, psychological valley. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there's, and along the way, I've had like, oh, I feel like I know this thing. People really need to know this. I should tell them. Uh, but that doesn't mm -hmm. always end well. 
And what yeah. I've learned is that, oh, okay, because you have to understand not just what is true, but also what other people believe and how to get from point A to point B. Mm. And, if, and there's sort of a different stages. Like if you do this sort of too early, you tend to shove your truth down other people's throats. Mm-hmm. But if you do too late, then you just you end up in the like, well, I mean, so in the middle phase, it's more like, well, I don't know. This is how I look at it. You know, take it or leave it, right? It, it, it's yeah. very diffident. And yeah. I think there's a third way uh, that I haven't discovered yet, but I'm hoping we can, event, uh, we can invent before I finish this call, <laughs> <laughs> which is very much because what I think I said, you know, this is, I was thinking, you know, because I've had that same emotion several times over the last few years, and I've had a whole bunch of sessions I've done online with different groups trying to explore this thing. It's like, I have a thing I want to say. I believe it's true, but, you know, it's prob- there's prob- there may be flaws in my thinking. There may be flaws in my ability to articulate myself. There may be flaws in my ability to gauge what other people can hear and understand. And whenever you present an idea, all three of those tend to get lumped together. Yeah. And I was thinking like this thing about disciples, so like, okay, I think there's something there, there. And so let me tell you the, the, the idea that I was thinking about when I came, it's like, you know, I have this thesis and I would like to just be able to invite a few friends to like comment on this thesis. I did that with my comprehensive grace paper that started this conversation a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you know, what I really like to do is like, yeah, but so it's like, you know, but you know, it's hard to get people to be a single student, but what we should do is just get like a bunch of people together. And I was like, oh my God, that is what a thesis defense what's supposed to be <laughs> right <laughs> right way way back in the day like a thousand years maybe by this point i don't know right uh, certainly you know certainly you know many centuries the idea was this wasn't like i am a professional uh scholar and therefore i must go through a professional process and find the least publishable unit that i can use to get at my phd and start making money it was like no it's like i have a thesis this is a thing i believe and I want a process where I can test and publish that thesis, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to help me think more and, and but also to give some people like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I felt like, oh yeah. So all these, so what I could do is I could actually like host a thesis event, like pick a handful of people and say, you know, hey, I want you to. Um, you know, look at my, and in fact, the reason I, the, my, my agenda when I started this call was to ask you to be my thesis advisor. Because like, <laughs> I want to actually do this. And oh, wow. basically do the exact same thing that you just described you wanting most. That's crazy. I love Isn't it. Isn't that hilarious? And so. It really we, is. We, we could swap roles depending on who's ready first. But the, <laughs> but like, because like, this is the thing, like, like, like I don't miss academia for the most part, right? I'd much rather be in the real world solving real problems with real people, yeah. right? But yeah. like there is, but the, the the thing I do miss is having a community of practice that is committed to rigorous critique. Yeah, like that is so. And precious. can do it with with. Uh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But I, I'm thinking, and great. <laughs> can do it with with charity and with empathy, right? I mean, I think that's the part yeah. that's like I'm not. Yeah, I think a lot of people in scholarly fora are they enjoy arguing, 
Yes. That's a nice way of putting it. But no, but I, don't I, mean, I, I, I fall into that category. I accept that, right? Like, in yeah. order to survive in those environments, you have to enjoy just critique for critique's sake, right? <laughs> but I, 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 wanna, I told you, right? I want it, something. Among nerds, yeah. In fact, I, I told you, right? among nerds. And maybe, thoughts, maybe love is right. the right word, right? Love. Well, yeah. Or, where we, it says love builds. So how, how yeah. can we facilitate uh, that environment. I, I, I actually have a word I actually have a word for that. Okay. Uh, we, we used to call it being brutally honest, but I realize that's not quite right. It's being right. painfully kind. Painfully like kind. telling people <laughs> the thing that they need to hear as kindly yeah. as possible and taking both pains on on our side to say it well, mm-hmm. understanding it may cause them pain to hear it. Because sometimes, you know, the truth hurts. Yeah. And not, and that's you know, and you don't want to avoid the truth because it hurts. Right. But you don't want to become callous to the hurt. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and you so, and you don't have to be antagonistic when you confront something that you don't feel is a hundred percent accurate. I, I think that is one of the things that I found, you know, some of the, kind of the academic conferences that I've been to and papers I've submitted and things like that. It's like. There is a way, and there were always a handful of people that would offer a critique that was generous, right? It's like, listen, mm. you're you're doing generous. Great. That's a great word. You know, your generous your thoughts, critique, right? Your thoughts are helpful. You, you, it's obvious you've done X, Y, and Z, but here's something you need to consider if you want to to make this insight stronger and support it in a different way. But then there's, you know. Maybe the bulk of your your interaction is going to be people saying like it's not generous. It's just snipey and you know mean spirited and what's wrong with you? You know how come you don't see it the way? So even just the 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 attitude of heart that I feel like man we could do better than this. We we can definitely learn how to be one another's supporters in the in the quest to apprehend truth the best way we can yeah so this is good and by the way i I thought there's at least two or three reasons why critique is so negative one is that uh people are like the most shallow people are just showing off right Mm, just you know being the guy who's got the one line that zings people right there's that the second is more just sort of cultural habit, right? Mm-hmm. This is what they say everyone yep. else doing, so they just do it. They're not necessarily mean-spirited or whatever. It's like this is just expected. And like, yeah. you know, I, I, I've often bemoaned that, but I've also realized that outside of academia, you know, there's, there's no real, there's very few places that have any sort of cultural critique. Yeah. And so like the cultural norm had to be like, we have to tolerate bad critique or else we'll have no critique. <laughs> and it's unfortunate, but that's the trade-off that was made. But the third reason, and this is the most fascinating to me, because I'm in the middle of it. I think we talked about amygdala hijacks last time, about how you use so. brain freezes when something triggers your identity. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I realized, like, there are things that um, are sort of trivial and have no impact that people just crap all over because, like, what does it matter, right? Yeah. You know, we're just playing this abstract intellectual game, and if we're just going to chew each other out, is that just, you know, silly? But there's other mm-hmm. things that matter so much that people can't bear the thought of, of even questioning them, much less denying them. Mm. 
like I'm wrestling with one of these thoughts right now, like um, about when we give people parenting advice, should we give them, uh, I heard a talk where they actually talked about this really good about there's like the, there's the downstairs and the upstairs. And downstairs is all the mechanics of daily life. Like you mm -hmm. want your children to wear clothes and brush their teeth and get to school on right. time, right? And then there's the upstairs, which is you want people to know that they're loved by God and fulfilling Christ's mission in the world. Yeah. And, you know, I'm starting to think that, and usually when you get parenting advice, it's a mixture of the two, including this one. Like they accidentally ended up talking about the upstairs stuff. They actually intended and spent most of their time talking about the downstairs stuff. But I have to look back and say, you know, actually, you know, I never said like, this is really important. You have to do this, even though it's hard. And it's like, I don't know if that's true. Like all this downstairs mm. stuff. It's like, yes, in an ideal world, it'd be great if you could do that. But in an ideal world, you wouldn't need to do all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and people, but, and, and so I'm, it's like really hard to see if I actually believe that the upstairs stuff is, is what's really important and most important, then that means I have to not necessarily reject, but devalue what people are saying and have said um, relative to the weight that they appear to be placing on it. And that's excruciatingly painful to have mm -hmm. to, you know, disagree with the values of the community and especially of the people who are very generously giving your time. And so it's given me some more empathy towards why people seem to cling tenaciously to obviously incorrect and unhelpful beliefs. It's mm -hmm. like, at the point in time, it's not just the belief itself, but your entire relationship with the community that is built around that worldview. And so it's really yeah. hard to have these kinds. So anyway, so the idea is that, and so the pitch, let me give you my, my, my initial pitch and then we can evolve it based on your feedback. I just get on my, so is that, is that I have like, uh, you know, I have many friends I have conversations with, but there's like a handful of them who I feel like have this sort of academic scholastic mindset where they would actually enjoy the opportunity of doing a thoughtful critique. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and are also sufficiently distanced from academia that if I called it a thesis defense, it wouldn't trigger their amygdala. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There'll be a man of calling it something else. But, you know, you know I, I've had like one guy who went postal on me because I used the word papers on my blog, on my <laughs> website. That's not a paper. That was not peer reviewed. How dare you call that a paper? It's like, ouch. Yeah. But like, there's people who have this, right, this is part of their identity, right? And so yeah. you question people's identity. Uh, you know, things don't generally end well. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that, is that I say, okay, and, and, and here's, a, here's, the, here's the crazy part. I feel like a thesis should be one page. Like, what exactly hmm. is the point? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And how are you solving it? Like, and that's, that's your thesis. That is the statement. That yeah. is the thing you believe. And that way, everyone can read it and revise it painfully. Because, you know, waiting for your advisor to read your thesis Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's like if you have like a thesis and then you have an FAQ, a frequently asked question. Right? So that there's a mm -hmm. like just to define what those words mean because you're not trying to at this point the goal is not to persuade people. So there, I, I thought about this, there's three things. Um you with this you, you study Greek. Uh, the, the Cairo New, I think it was Christos Mike was the the banner used by Constantine. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, I don't the Kai, the row you're familiar with. I row. You've probably yeah. seen the Kai and the row. Yeah, and yeah. so new for Nikkei. That's the three. But it's, I, I like I like triplets, and so Kai row and new works well for me. And I thought, okay, so the first 
thing about your thesis, the first thing is like, is this clear? Right? Because that's so hard. Like, does this even mean what does do you think this means what I think it means? Right. Like that's a hard problem right there. Are we even talking about the same thing? And yeah. so and just having, you know, so the first step, and that's like the one paper, like, is this clear? And then there's a glossary and definitions, whatever. It's like, okay, we agree on that. And then the second thing, and I love this phrase because you brought it up, I think, was rigor. Yeah. Like, okay, I've said this. Have I actually explained why I believe that and, and identified that? And that's where having a, because the first one requires a glossary. The second requires, um, let's call it, uh, in, in data science, we call it an analysis. I'm not sure what the appropriate word is in theology, maybe like a hermeneutic or whatever, but it's, it's mm -hmm. the, it's, it's the, um, the backup, right? Yeah. In order to make these statements, this is, this is the, this, this is the data that I looked at and used right. and the, the data and the analysis. That's, let's just do the technical mm -hmm. terms for now. We can find more socially acceptable, right? Like these are the data I looked at and these are the analyses I used that led me to this conclusion. Right. And it could be whatever it is, but at least, you know, and if people say, well, you know, I have questions about that, you know, that I don't, or, and then you look at it and, and here's the thing that the beauty of this, you do it right. You're not challenging me. You're challenging the document. It's like, okay, I can believe that you mean that, but I don't see that here. Can you mm -hmm. explain that to me? And I can say, yeah. oh yeah, sorry, I didn't put it here. It's like, oh wait, you're right. That's not supported. And like the whole right. point of this is trying to be rigorous. And I originally wanted to be right, but I realized that was probably too emotionally loaded. Because you don't really know <laughs> if you're right. But at least if you're rigorous, then people have a chance of finding your errors. And even if you're rigorous, doesn't mean you're right either. But at least it gives people mm -hmm. something solid to stand on and react against. And then the yeah. third question, which I thought, uh, I'm not sure if you brought up right in, uh, for the N, the, the CR and N for Cairo and New, is, is needful. Mm. Like, given this, like, is this a, an important problem worth solving? And do you make a meaningful contribution, contribution to it? Right? Yeah. And it feels like if you're going to pick it, is, 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 is if this is not tied to your career and your earnings and your status and justifying seven years, in my case, it doesn't really matter. You're not doing this just for the sake of it. It's like, no, this is a problem that I want to, that I think, and like people say like, uh, so like for this paper, this is going the content for a little bit. Like, I feel like there's something profoundly skewed in our understanding of discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I have a theory, a thesis uh, about what that is. And it feels like, you know, if I can, if I can correctly identify the problem, and propose a usable solution, that feels like a significant contribution. Yeah. And so, so that's half of it. It's like, first is for the problem, is within the problem solving. And secondly, the thing that would be fascinating is to have the conversation is like, okay, now does this, imp does this make a meaningful contribution to other things that I consider equally or more important? And hmm. you wanna have the conversation like, you know, hey, this is good. But it doesn't really speak to this, does it? Oh, maybe, yeah, okay, you're right, it doesn't. It's like, okay, well, that's a great thing. And this is what we're always supposed to have at the end of our papers, right? Future work. Like, right. based on this community of people with these values, like, what are the things, and, you know, rank them. Like, I think the most important thing we would love to have you or someone else do is tackle mm -hmm. this. And you don't always have to yeah. agree, but you, but you at least, like, like, my God, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't kill necessarily, I would sacrifice a small animal I don't love, you know, to have a community where, you know, we could just say, like, what are the most important issues to us in the body of Christ that we don't clearly, that, that something like this could help with, right? Because, like, 
to be fair, uh, you know, just my bias is that there are very few problems left that can be solved, very few big problems left that can be solved by a book. Hmm. Right, because we have so many books that, and that's why I was really fascinated by my use of the word interact, because it's, I yeah. think the book is just a vehicle. And, you know, right. Uh, you know, and, and but you know the reality is is if a really successful book would be made, you know, likely tens of thousands of readers, right? That's considered mm -hmm. a pretty darn good book, right? Yeah. But a pretty mediocre video, even an hour long video, could easily get a million viewers. <laughs> right. And that's nothing to say. It's like you know. So what, what you do is that what, so, so the vision is of this is, is that this is a community, a channel, whatever, where like the thesis. Like those of us who are the editors, the producers, we want to dig into the text and the thesis and the background. But everyone else, mm -hmm. they can just hear, like, this is the thesis, one page, you read it in a couple minutes, you know, live on the screen. And then you hear a bunch of people who care deeply about the truth, you know, interacting with this document. And you say, wow, that actually makes sense. And now I believe it. And you could probably accomplish at least as much life transformation for 90% of your audience. Mm. by watching that one hour interaction than they would from yeah. reading the book. Mm. I mean, and like, if you want to publish the whole thing as a book, great, because, you know, there's certain things which are worth it. But then, like, first you do the thesis and the defense, and then you write the book after you've had people hammer it, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, right. book reviews are fine, but they're not interactive, they're not real-time, they're not emotional. Like, you don't really know what's... It's like, well, I think the author means this, and then you write a page of what you think they should have said. But like, mm -hmm. if you can just ask them, it would be so much easier. <laughs> and before right. they, because I think once you've written a 400-page book, you're emotionally invested in that text. Oh yeah. Right. Of course. Like you don't want to have to say, well, you know, your fundamental premise seems flawed. <laughs> right. Like you know, they, they, they will not thank you. They're, yeah. And so the idea <laughs> is that you is that this idea of a, um, and the idea is that like the thing that you need. I told you my story about thesis advisors, haven't you? Haven't I? About the rabbit who's writing a thesis. I don't think you told me that. Oh, I got it. This, is, that this is my favorite joke. Congratulations. Yeah. So I enjoy telling it again. So. Go ahead. But the, uh, so there's a rabbit sitting there in the forest typing on a typewriter. And this fox walks up to him and says, ha ha, little rabbit, I am going to eat you up. And the rabbit says, shut up. I'm working on my thesis. The fox says, your thesis? What's your thesis? Says, my thesis is about how rabbits eat foxes. And the fox says, that's ridiculous. I want to see your research. And so the fox says, the rabbit says, come with me. They go to this cave. You hear this loud crunching noise. And the rabbit hops out, goes back to typing on his keyboard. A little later, a wolf comes by. And the wolf says, um, little rabbit, I'm going to eat you up. The rabbit says, shut up. I'm working on my thesis. And the wolf, being classically trained, says, really? What is your thesis? And the rabbit says, that's how rabbits eat wolves. He goes, that doesn't make any sense. I want to see your research. The rabbit mm -hmm. says, come with me. He goes to a cave, crunch, 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 the rabbit hops out again. The rabbit finishes typing, pulls out the papers, goes back to the cave. Inside the cave, you see a pile of fox bones, a pile of wolf bones, and a great big bear. Mm. And the moral of the story is, doesn't matter what your topic is, doesn't matter what your research is, all that matters is who your thesis advisor is. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, but I think that, like, that's the thing that makes this work. I mean, the, the uh, and this is, I guess, the pitch, which is where we should end up on, which is that, like, you, uh, like I've spent the last, year, like, literally the last three years 
experimenting with different formats for these kinds of group conversations. And the, the, the most uh, successful thing that came up was something I kind of called Goldfish Bowl, which is kind of like the domestic version of Shark Tank, hmm. uh, where you're pitching an idea to a crowd. But I realized that it actually makes more sense in the context of a, of a thesis defense. And this is how you would structure it. And, and I have a community of people I've been doing this with, so some of them are familiar with the format. And, hmm. but the, so you, you want to find the right number of people in the right format, but that's relatively easy. Uh, the hard part, though, is you actually need a thesis advisor, which is kind of like the editor. Right? They're yeah. the person who will, and, and they have to do two things, right? They have to, and they're, they're very simple. They have to say no and eventually say yes. <laughs> this is what Steve <laughs> right. Jobs did at Apple. He wouldn't give people mm. any feedback or advice. He would just say, nope, not good enough, try again. And you keep, mm. he would just force you to dig deeper and deeper. And, you know, obviously a little bit more um, granularity may be useful. Um, and, you know, uh, Pixar has this whole thing with notes where people provide notes as feedback. Um, but the is you want to have a, an editorial process, however it's structured, where there's someone you say, like, okay, this is what I'm trying to achieve, and then give me feedback. And so the, the good news is that if it's like a one-page thing, it's not like you have to take a lot of time to read it. It's like you just, like, skim this and say, okay, um, you know, this format doesn't work or this word doesn't work, whatever. And of course, during the first one, it's going to be a lot harder because we don't have any precedents to draw from. Um, mm -hmm. But there's some prior art we can build upon. Um, and so the idea is that, um, I guess if I'm going to make this a concrete pitch, the pitch is that in the next week or so, I will send you draft one, or I guess that was draft one, it was the one on my blog, so draft two of my mm. thesis. And then, you know, asynchronously, we, you will send it back, you know, you can say, uh, yeah, you, don't have to, you can be as superficial as you want. You can say like, this doesn't make any sense to me, or I get this part, or I don't get this part, or, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't understand what you were saying. Like, whatever, you know, it should take you at most an hour to read it, mm -hmm. write an email with comments, and send it back, and that's it. Like, and then, you know, if I get in a frenzy, I'll do it the next morning. If I, you know, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. It depends on what happens in my life. But it is we iterate that, and we say, okay, this is actually feeling like something that's worth showing to a larger group of people. Hmm. And then, you know, I'm not sure what the process is, if we you know, have them all look at it and submit comments beforehand, or it's actually kind of more fun if you have maybe a smaller group that's doing the uh, editing and proofing and then, you know, making you write the backup material. And then uh, for your, I guess you have your uh, in-house judges and your celebrity judges. That's probably a good distinction. <laughs> like the in-house judges are the people who are in on it, right? They look at the raw yeah. draft, they provide you feedback, and like they you know, kind of work on that. But then you have the celebrity judges, which is the guys who don't have a lot of time, but are willing to spend an hour or two on a Zoom call yeah. to just like hear you pitch this and read it fresh. And they react and they'll see things that the people who are invested in don't see. Hmm. And having a balance of those two would probably work. And then the whole thing, of course, is um, you know, all the drafts would be, you know, live in a Google Doc somewhere, if not on a, posted on a blog for major revisions. And uh, to me, like the big thing, you talk about acrimony being the cultural norm, right? Either you don't yeah. give feedback or you give harsh feedback. It's like, you know, even just the prophetic act of demonstrating how to have hard conversations about important topics with grace and kindness feels like it would make a meaningful difference in the world. Wow. 
you know, and hopefully out of this we get like, you know, you know, and, you know, and then, you know, and after I do this one, then we swap. <laughs> and then I advise you for your thesis. You, you pick one of the, like, the books you want to write, like, I pick one that you think you could summarize in a one-page thesis. You know, and, and that people could get the main points and understand why it matters and what you're claiming. And then, you know, we go through that process. You know, maybe it takes a month, maybe it takes six months. I have no idea uh, what else God will have for us. But it feels like it's crazy enough that the two of us converged on the same point that I feel like God is in this. Mm. And this is a season for yeah. him. And, you know, by the way, if you don't want to wait for me to finish mine and you get wake up in the middle of the night and want to write your one-page thesis and send it to me, go for it. <laughs> okay. you know, this is lightweight enough. You can do a lot of these things in parallel. True. I mean, that's I how I wrote that right. first one. Where, like, I woke up at 4 in the morning and it's like, I got to write this down. Mm. I, I just don't know what to do with it after that. And so you know, we're going to carve out a path. And once we do this, I mean, can you imagine? Like, it is not hard to imagine every surviving Bible school having a club that did this. Right? No, and, and in many ways, it would I feel like it would kind of bring people back to some of what was originally a part of these Bible colleges and ministry training schools. But I do think there was yeah. more of an interest in people learning how to hone their thoughts. Yeah, but I think the problem, uh, the, the problem that I have seen, correct me if you know differently, because you probably know his church history a little bit better than I do, is that the modern seminary was part of the Counter-Reformation, mm. um, right? And so the whole idea was, okay, we need to make sure that our people learn our truth in our way. I mean, I have a friend who did a survey of this. And they, you know, were, they were working for some nonprofit, and they tried to do a survey of Christian leadership training. And what they discovered is almost nobody has, quote, unquote, generic Christian leadership training. They have, this is how we train people to be part of our organization. And because right. of that, you can't ask certain questions. <laughs> right? The whole point yeah. of this is to ask, is to be, it's so like, and, you know, the, you know, there's probably maybe a sweet spot between the sort of early Roman Catholic monasteries uh, and maybe like the, the first century or two of the Enlightenment, uh, uh, even if it's an inappropriate name in some ways, you know, the, 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 the theological atmosphere of asking hard questions and trying to find answers, there was at least a window there where I felt like that was a uh, honest questioning before everybody chose sides and then they'd burn you if you disagreed. Like Calvin, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You know, and so, but I think we have yeah. a chance. Yeah, I think we have a chance to re to recreate that, mm. and but in a way that you know, like you know, I have friends on like you know, sort of the more radical spectrum who you know are great at uh, you know pursuing crazy theories and whatever, but then uh, like you can't ask them questions because they're in their own universe. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel right. like I've, I, I know at least like six people I can think of who would jump at the chance to be a part of this, who would offer really generous, thoughtful critiques. Mm. And like that feels enough to get started. And if it works, then it's infinitely scalable, right? Because anybody who wants yeah. to can follow this process, find a few people, you know, and, you know, if they want to have some providence, they find one person who was a previous one to be on there. 
thesis committee and you know and mm -hmm. it feels like that and you know this is that in post covid everyone knows how to use zoom <laughs> true and it always and the great to me the great thing about zoom is that if you record it it's natural if you try to set up a recording in a physical in place room it feels weird but now everyone's mm -hmm. so used to being on zoom and you say hey like this phone call <laughs> yeah. so we're on a phone call and it's like hey can okay, i record this and post it on my podcast and it's like okay in fact that's what i ask at this point in the call i have recorded yeah. this is it okay for me to post this on my podcast <laughs> yes sir all right so anyway i think i owe you a draft two if well if i was okay. the pitch are you are you up for trying this experiment i am let's give all it right. a shot Woo. yes sir thank you um you want to pray yeah let's do it father thank you so much that in the midst of our scurrying about i think that somehow you are you're helping us lord you're you're providing us with such gracious and patient guidance and direction thank you god for planting seeds in our hearts that remind us of the kingdom and draw us further into the beauty of your rule and give us the opportunity to really sharpen one another and to touch one another's lives in meaningful ways. I thank you for this this idea that you've you've given Ernie about a, a way that maybe we can grow, we can become wiser, more courageous, more loving. Um, and I pray, God, if you're in it, that you would you would help us to maximize its fruitfulness, and you'd show us what to do about it and and how to pursue it. God, our lives are yours. We don't want to hold anything back from you, and so we just continue to invite you to speak and guide us. Um, you know the end from the beginning. So we, you're the one who understands how the, the pieces fit together. And we just want to keep pace with your spirit's leadership here. So we pray for that. Um, the very real and effective presence of the spirit to sharpen our thoughts, to give, to help us give voice to what you are saying and doing, showing us. Lord, we, we really pray for that, God, for for fruit in our own lives that helps others to grow. And I pray that this would be a vehicle for that. So we entrust it to you. Ask you to help us do our part to cultivate um, and focus, you know, the work that you've put in front of us. And thank you for it, Lord. We pray for your favor. Your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Amen. you. Uh, I'm going to propose the name Thesis Club, both for this episode Thesis. and for the project. Oh. Right. right. So the idea is that we don't need an, like a fancy institution. Whatever. It's just a club of people who come in like we each have a thesis. We want to pitch it to people and get their reaction and share in yeah. the learning. Okay. It's All right. Give done. my love to Carol. <laughs> Thank you, man. God bless you. Thank you, Jeff. God bless you. Bye-bye.